um, this morning we're going to carry on with our series called Travelling Light. We've been going through the book of James over the last five weeks, and we're sort of hitting the halfway mark right now. And we start to get right into some really powerful messages that James is saying to us. In fact, the whole book is powerful, isn't it? There's nothing in there that's a shadow of grey. It's all pretty black and white stuff. It just tells us that, you know, we've got to allow our faith to be seen in our actions, not just our words, but in our actions. But today, James is going to be talking about our words, to speak or not to speak. You know, the, uh, the question that we always have, always have in a conversation is an internal question of, shall I say this or shall I say that? How many of you have that? You know, should I say something positive or should I actually tell them I won't say the truth, <laughs> but you know you, can, you know you can be negative or you can be positive. And it's a real challenge for us because we're always having this internal conversation going on. There's a, uh, a chap by the name of Ronan Keating, who's a, who's a singer, who wrote this song called You Say It Best When You Say Nothing At All. And uh, that, that little lyric sort of pops into my head more frequently now than it ever has, and I've realized that Sometimes silence is the best wisdom that we can bring to any given setting. At least it gives you a chance to catch up with what your internal voice is saying. <clears throat> but this morning, we're going to look at James chapter 3. And uh, to get there, we're going to start in Genesis. Isn't that exciting? We're going to wander all the way through to James chapter 3. We'll be here a while. But uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 tells us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, we've got that picture? What comes next is some really powerful words. The words that come next are, and God said. And God said. And for the rest of the chapter, we've got, and God said, or and God spoke. And firstly, we have the separation of the earth from the water, and then we have fish being created, and then we have flying animals being created, and then we have land being created, and people, sorry, and then animals being created. And finally, ultimately, God said this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. And so here we are, created in the same image of God, and the first thing that we can take from what we've been told about this creation and told, for, told about God is that he's got this power to create by speaking. He speaks and the earth is formed, the animals are formed, the creation is formed. And we've been told that we are made in his likeness, in his image. So when we just look back over that first chapter, we say, what is it that God does? Well, God speaks and he creates. We're made in his image. So therefore, one of the first things that we can take away from our likeness of God is that as we speak, we too create. There's not much else to compare ourselves to at this first and early stage of Scripture, is there? All that we are told is that we are made in God's image. What does God do? God creates with his words. We are told that we too can create with our words. And so words are a very, very powerful part of our whole Life And they're very, very much the thing that sets the course of destiny on its way, doesn't it? 
the amount of times that you would have had words spoken into you or you would have spoken words to others, and that would have shaped somebody's destiny in a positive way or a negative way. Your destiny has been shaped. And so when James talks to us about words, we've got to realize that we're reflecting back here upon this whole account of creation. And James picks up on this a little bit further on in this passage that we're going to look at today. But we're going to find here that the power of words that you have been given have the ability to grow something or kill something. And so it's on that basis that James opens up the, uh, the scriptures for us by showing us what he means by reflecting on Genesis and looking at the community that's working together at that time. Well, I don't know about you, but um, I've been threatened over times that uh, I'd have my, my tongue should be tied up in a knot because I've said the wrong thing at the wrong time, in the wrong way, with the wrong words. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but how many of you got threatened with soap and water when you were a kid? You know, I'll wash your mouth out with soap and water. Yeah, yeah, you did. Amazing, isn't it? How many of you actually had that inflicted upon you? <laughs> That's quite a good number. I, I, actually, I didn't. I was, I was faster than my mum. I could, I could outrun her, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, it's funny how the soap and water hits the tongue, whereas really it's the head and the heart is where the damage is actually coming from, isn't it? But the poor old tongue gets, gets copped with the punishment. Um, what we're trying to learn, sorry, what we've been told we should learn is that the words that come out of our mouth are powerful. And mum's trying to illustrate it, or dad's trying to illustrate that by giving the tongue a good old, good old scrub with some soap to remind you that you've got to clean up your words. And it's, it's actually a pretty powerful image, isn't it? Because look at what happened today when we just had a little survey here. Quite remarkable how many mums all read the same book. Yeah. So James says to us, and this is where we're heading towards. James says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Okay, let's just pick up that second line first. James has such an emphasis here on the tongue, and he's very, very accurate, is if somebody has the ability to control their words, control their language, control their emotions through their tongue, they're a perfect person, perfect in all their ways. So it's a very interesting measure, isn't it? If you have the ability to speak words well, uh, not allow your emotions to run away with you, at the same time not being completely silent on things, because that can seem like the easy way out, to say nothing, you are deemed to be somebody who is getting close to perfection because every word that you say is, is, is a measured word and, and a wise word. And we see this in Jesus, don't we? Jesus' words that are recorded for us in Scripture are always wise, they're not wasted, and, uh, and they're powerful in the way that they create around them. But the first part of this, this text this morning talks specifically to teachers. And we would assume rightly that there seems to be a problem in the communities that James are address, is addressing around what is being taught. So James is sort of putting a, a shot across the bows of teachers who are saying things that maybe need to be retracted, maybe need to be thought out a little bit more. And this is vitally true for anybody who teaches, isn't it? Whether you're school teaching or you're teaching in industry or wherever it might be, that you have the capacity and the ability to shape another person's life 
by the, by the words that you use. And certainly it's important that we look at it from the context of, of biblical Christianity. We have to have folks who have the ability to not only speak clearly, but speak in an informed way from Scripture. Uh, Timothy tells us, as Timothy tells, is told by Paul, I should say, that we should study to show ourselves approved. In other words, we need to do some hard yards so that we actually know what we're talking about. I know for myself, having gone to uh, college and done a degree in theology, um, this sort of education is really formative. There was a great increase in the amount of things I knew very little of, and that was part of the humbling process. And as much as I had to learn that there was a, a, a complete plethora of learning out there that I had never engaged with. And so going to college was almost, always about learning how to keep on learning. I had someone come up to me after about eight or nine years of being in pastoral ministry, and they said, haven't you run out of what you were taught at college yet? I'm like, no, no, I wasn't given a whole lot of talks to bring to, uh, bring to church and inflict them upon the congregation. You know, what we're taught is how to keep on, on learning. And uh, in my household at the moment, with a wider family, uh, it's quite exciting. My, one of my daughters is completing her theology degree at the moment, and the second one is doing a master's in theology. And so conversations around our, around our home are quite robust and, and, and very intellectual, but building of faith all at the same time. You know, the, the father has become now the student in many respects, learning from the kids, which is a cool thing to do, cool thing to experience. But humbling at times, but a cool thing to experience. Um, but people say to me, hey, Craig, are you ever nervous about getting up in front of a crowd to speak? And I'm like, not really. I'm not too worried about the crowd, but I'm very nervous about what I say, particularly when you look at scriptures like this, because they tell you that you will be judged more severely, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Because the words that I say as a minister have a, a huge power and a huge influence because we're taking scripture which represents God and therefore what I say is actually informing you about the nature and the character of God. This is a big responsibility, not something that anybody can take lightly and you'd be foolish to take it lightly. Um, the last couple of weeks I've been tracking a story that's been evolving in the States and um, it, uh, it caught the attention of the media. And on Thursday night, I noticed on TV One that they had this story uh, about a, a teacher, preacher in the States who's um, raising $50 million from his congregation so that he can buy himself a new jet. Um, I've forgotten what this one is. Oh, there it is, Falcon 7X. Yeah, uh, Falcon 7X. Uh, around about $67 million New Zealand dollars, 50 million US dollars, and he's appealing to his congregation saying, I need a new one. I've had three before this, I need another one. Um, and the story and behind the story is quite fascinating too because um, I picked up on a clip of news and it had not only Jerry Duplantis, who's the guy we're looking for the plane, but Kenneth Copeland standing with him being interviewed on TV. And they were describing why they needed planes for their ministry. And they said, well, look, you know, we would only do, be able to do about 10% of what we would normally do if we were flying on commercial airlines. I'm like, oh, that's a bit exaggerated. And then he said, um, uh, what happens to us when we're on our plane 
and we have a revelation from God. Whenever I have a revelation from God, I jump up. When I'm in the aisle of a commercial airliner, I jump up and I can't do that. I can't jump up and praise God and thank Him for the revelation. I'm like, really? And the other one has said, um, Kenneth Copeland said, oh, look, when, when I go onto a commercial airliner, all I see sitting on the seats are demons. People filled with demons. So I need a plane so I can stay in tune with God. I was like, oh, that's good. I'll write that down. <laughs> I only want a helicopter. Squirrel, about two and a half million dollars. Wouldn't need a runway. Just out here. Be great for children's activities. Icons for boys and girls. I'd love it. Nothing to do with going hunting, Dave. No. <laughs> Nothing at all. See? But hey, look, there's a huge responsibility upon anybody who teaches. And uh, I mean, I think 20-odd years of being in pastoral ministry, it's the first time I've ever actually said something negative about another minister, but they're right at the extreme edge, really. Uh, what can you do with 50 million bucks? You know, man, it'd be amazing what you could do with 50 million bucks. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, you've got three things here that are being described as something that's relatively small, but has a huge influence, a huge bearing. And the first one that uh, James talks about is the bridle of a horse, or the bit that goes between the teeth of a horse. The illustration talks about this little piece of metal that goes between, into the mouth of the horse, and with that you can turn the horse left or right. Now, my own experience of riding horses is quite limited. My grandparents had a farm down the King Country, and they had quite a few horses. This was just at the time when they were getting rid of horses and starting to get the first few motorbikes okay, onto the farms. Uh, but my mum my used to go to school on a horse. Uh, and so horses were a big part of my family's background and story, like probably all of you, to be quite honest. Um, one horsepower, that was all they had. And uh, I was given the opportunity to ride the, ride the horse. And my brother and I would get these horses saddled up and we'd be, put in, we'd be let loose in the horse paddock, which was about 10 acres. And these horses just knew instinctively that we were scared. <laughs> and so, of course the horses would play up, and I can remember one particular day this horse just took off flat out, and we didn't know anything about horse riding, so we were just hanging on, yelling and screaming as the horse went right up towards a ravine with a river down below it. And you get, we, we thought, well, I thought I was a goner. And next thing was like a bad movie when the horse just planted all four legs and skidded right up to the edge of the ravine and hung its neck down like this, and I'm hanging on. <laughs> You know, so I get James, I get what he says in theory only. Uh, my, my practice as far as controlling the horse with the bridle is a little bit limited. But uh, 
in an ideal world, you steer the horse. In the same way, James is talking about a ship with a rudder. It is quite amazing, isn't it, how small a rudder is compared to the overall size of a ship. What we do know is that when a ship loses the power to its rudder or it's broken in some fashion, the ship is absolutely useless. It flounders. It'll only go around in circles or go nowhere at all. And stories coming out of times of war when a ship was hit in the rudder, it just becomes a sitting duck. It has no way to defend itself. And so James is saying that this, this little rudder, even though you've got the power of all that wind onto tons and tons of ship, has the ability to steer its course. And so again, we're being told that this, this little part of our body, this tongue, has the ability to steer the course of our lives. And we don't realize it just how significant it is until maybe as we get along a, little bit on, along a little bit in years and we look back and we realize how significant conversations have shaped us. And I, I think I've always been, a, been aware of this. Um, and I remember a particular time when our son was only 17 and he decided he wanted to do an apprenticeship in the army. And so he went down to Waiuru, 150 r- raw recruits, and um, he goes through 16 weeks of basic training. And only 100 made it through. So even at that, he, was, he had done pretty well. He was the youngest in the intake. And I remember us as a family, a wider family, we went down to Waiuru to see them marching out. They do their final parades, etc., as they pass the basic course. And I wrote my son a letter. And I said to him, today, son, you've made us really, really proud. You know, you've endured a really, really hard course. And, uh, you know, there were times when he wondered whether he was going to make it through and he'd give us a ring and we'd encourage him and he'd just get through the next day and then he'd just get through the next day and, you know, made it through. But I said, look, today you've had with you on your graduation day, your march out day, I said, you're fortunate enough to have both sides of your family represented and your grandparents on both sides of the family and your mum and I. And I just want to tell you that you made us all proud. You know, we look at you and we see the investment of uh, generations of DNA in you. And when we see you doing well, we feel ourselves doing well. You know, there's something there that's just super positive about a family member succeeding. And I just wrote this letter to him and explained how we felt. And we're not that good, are we, at doing this sort of thing, particularly men, particularly Kiwi men. But I just made a really big effort that day. And uh, he came up to me a couple of days later and just told me how significantly touched he was by, doing, by, by me doing that. And the power of those words, you know, become like a rudder in a person's life. Not only their own tongue, but the words that you say can steer somebody else's life. Now, James also uses illustration of a spark. I've got this here. This has revolutionized my life, this. Not the can, but this, this thing here. You buy it off AliExpress for about seven bucks. Who likes buying stuff off AliExpress? We'll have an altar call later, and you can repent of that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, this is awesome for lighting fires. You know, I never need, never need paper again when I light my fire. Just, this gets the kindling going. But the, um, the remarkable thing about a fire like this, like any fire, like even a match, is that the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest of flames is enough to start a forest fire, isn't it? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? When you think that size flame 
could destroy millions and millions of dollars worth of property and forestry, and that is all it takes. Just that. Quite amazing. I remember a few years ago, I uh, had an American guy staying with us uh, from YWAM, and uh, he stayed with us for about seven or eight weeks. Jimmy, his name was, and he went off hunting with, with another friend, and I said to Jimmy on this cold, miserable day, and we were staying in the bush for a couple of days, I said, hey, look, when we get to the camp, um, Pete is a He's a real craftsman, a real, a real bushman. I said, you wait. Well, I know we're freezing cold now, but within 15 minutes we'll have a cup of tea going. And, uh, and so Jimmy was quite impressed. And so anyway, we get to this campsite and we start setting up the tent. And Pete's over there messing around with some twigs and stuff like this. I said, look at this, mate. He's making us a cup of tea. It's hosing down. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he's just about ready to light the match, and I see him go into his backpack, and he pulls out half a gallon of petrol, throws it on. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, okay, Jimmy, that didn't work out so good, but <laughs> normally he's really good at setting the, you know, setting the fire up. But for all of us, every one of us, we've got this tongue that seems to be doused in petrol. It has the ability to spark up at any given time. And if we're not in control of it, we'll find ourselves being able to Start forest fires where we didn't want to. That's the truth for all of us, every one of us. Because this capacity that we have, as James says, is not only the ability to build a fire amongst us, but this, this we are told, is the, the root of evil that comes out of our tongue. Because we know the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so therefore, our tongue is there and has the ability to shape the world around us. Those of us who have raised children know what that's like. We know where there are times when we go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. And then we apologize. Because we know that the power of our words shape the lives of those whom we're entrusted to raise. And even in our work environments, those of you who have got employees, those of you who have management responsibilities over others, you know that when you sit down and you talk about that person's performance with them, those words are taken home and measured over and over again. Not only the words, but the tone in which you said them, the way in which you delivered them, the level of sincerity or lack of it. All of these things are caught up in the words that we use when we talk to somebody else. One of the things about, um, about words, and particularly in relation to being a teacher, is um, from my perspective, is that we need to find a biblical balance in everything that we do. We're trying to find that middle ground that God is looking for, that sweet spot of health. Now, this is a really simplistic model, but I'll use it to explain what I'm, use it, use it to explain what I'm trying to say here. Um, a lot of us are head people. In other words, we like to know about our faith. We like to read scripture, we like to understand scripture. Uh, when we advertised a moment ago that Confident Christianity course, some of you jumped up, you leapt in your spirit and you went, whoa, I'm going to go there, I'm going to learn something, I have a, have a reason, a defense for my faith. And that is really what gets you going. Others are more heart people, you know, you're, you're more be interested in uh, worship, um, communion, just that... Uh, spiritual dynamic of being close to Jesus, 
feeling his presence. That's, in a very simple way, a way that you're wired. And then there are other people who are hands people. These are the folks who say, hey, look, we've got to change the world around us. Jesus changed the world around him. Okay, he, he reached out to the poor. He healed the sick. You know, and all of these things that Jesus did, and we look at this, we go, that has to be the best demonstration of the Christian gospel. And so you're focused on that. The reason why I um, go through Scripture like I do book to book, largely, about 70% of my preaching is done that way, or our preaching here in the church, is because what I'm trying to find by bringing Scriptures like this is I'm trying to find this, this sweet spot here where there's a level of maturity because of the crossing over of what it is that we get from Scripture. It would be so easy for me just every second week to take on my pet subject or my pet subjects and then we'd find ourselves sort of being off-center, out of equilibrium with what Scripture is saying. So the, the thing that I'm trying to do is keep us at that, that center, that place where the heart, the hands, and the head all mix. Yeah, I'm not going to get it right every time, and it's a balancing act over years of ministry, but it's something that I really focus upon because as a responsibility as a teacher, the words that come from my mouth are going to be judged more than others. So I've got to take that really seriously. James says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures have been tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. There's the Genesis passage again. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? I find these last words particularly about the fresh water and the salt water coming from the same spring particularly challenging. Because, you know, there are times when my words are not good. There are times when I get frustrated or angry. I'm looking back over a lifetime you know, it's just like, and I'll say the wrong thing. Nothing like having kids to humble you. You know, and you realize out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks, God, we've got some heart work to do here. And here's some salt water, some brackish water coming out of the spring that I thought was being able to produce fresh water. And so you're going, oh God, how can this fresh water and this salt water be coming from the same source? You know, we've really got to work hard because the more salt water the more death you're bringing. I don't know if any of you are aware of this, but as you drive away from Bethlehem towards Tapuna, you go down the hill there towards the Wairua River. And on the right-hand side there, there's a piece of land around about 40 acres that over the years has been reclaimed. And um, the reason why it had the ability to be reclaimed is because a weir had been put in down by the river where the water used to come in and flood that area. Well, for various reasons, and I won't explain why, that weir was lifted, and the water has been able to come in and out over that land with the tide. But more recently, they've been able to put some bunding across there using a digger, so they're looking to reclaim that land again. But um, I've heard that that land is going to take anywhere from 10 to 15 years at a minimum to be able to produce something worthwhile again, simply because of the amount of salt water that now has washed up over that that what was productive land. So the illustration's a really powerful one because it says that even a little bit of 
salt water can make a huge difference. It becomes undrinkable, okay? Only good for killing things. You know, there's a way in which you can kill plants in your garden. So you get a mixture of water and salt, and you, you pour that over weeds, and it'll kill them. So this illustration is a really, really powerful illustration. James talks about the tongue being a place where evil can reside. Now, it's giving the tongue a little bit of a hard time, really, because we know that the tongue is just the delivery mechanism, isn't it? You know, it's really what's going on in your head and your heart, and it sort of combines at your tongue and comes out. But there are times when your tongue seems to develop a life of its own, and you go, where did that come from? You know, where did that come from? And I find there are particular occasions when this happens, when all the family gather for Christmas Day. (laughs) What do you reckon? Okay? Usually about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when old Uncle Fred's had a few beers, you know, and and Auntie Martha had just been given a um, a few instructions, you know, from an event that happened when they were teenagers, you know, and he's well-rested and well-lubed up, and away goes the tongue. These are times when we just know that nothing good is going to come out of Nazareth today, okay? And, and it's this sort of event that can h- highlight how it is that out of familiarity we can end up hurting even the people who are the closest to us. And this happens in the life of a church too. For us as brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, we have to be very, very careful about how we treat one another. Even the simplest of words or the simplest implication that somebody is uh, doing something bad or poorly or has been caught doing something and they shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, do that. These are the sorts of things that wreck communities. And I mentioned there on the, I think it was the second talk that I did on the James series where James there mentions the tongue. I mentioned how it is that we only ever hear half of the story whenever somebody's telling you something. We only hear half a story. But it is of no spiritual value, no spiritual value at all, to gossip. One of the things that's happening when we gossip is we immediately are claiming a higher level of spirituality and morality over the person that we're speaking negatively about. Because the thing about gossip is that when you tell somebody about what you're, what you're going to tell them, and you're saying this person has done something wrong, you're immediately saying, I wouldn't do that. So therefore I'm telling you this because I would never be caught doing that. All right. So immediately you're claiming the high ground over somebody else. Secondly, you you will never ever know the full story. Even people involved in the story never always know the full story. But what what happens is we we sow seeds of doubt, we sow seeds of division and mistrust, and and it's a really, really big community destroyer. It really is. We know what the power of words can do in a positive way. You think of those great orators of, of probably of yesteryear more than anything these days, The great speeches like Martin Luther King, I have a dream. Well, those words are just as fresh today as they've ever been. I uh, look back at World War II, the beginning of the war when the Nazi Germany was invading France and the Netherlands and Belgium, and the British Expeditionary Force, which included New Zealanders and Australians, was in Belgium, in France, and uh, the Nazis pushed them back against the coast and they had to evacuate from Dunkirk. 300,000 men and women were evacuated back. It was 
quite the miracle, really. Quite the miracle. And this could have been deemed to be a huge defeat. But uh, Winston Churchill gets on the radio that, that night when they were all coming back, and he says, we will fight on the beaches. We will fight on the, in the villages. We will fight on the runways. And he goes on. He just does this heart-stirring speech. And then he says at the end, he says, and we will never, never, never give up. Well, with those words, that five-minute group of words, he turned the heart of a nation. They took something that was negative, it was a huge loss, almost to the point of an embarrassment to be pushed back over the channel again. But he turned the heart of a nation and he said, this isn't a loss, this is the beginning of victory. This is where victory starts, right here, right now. And so we see how the power of words can make an enormous difference in somebody's life because we see the, 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 the collective power of a community working for one another, not against one another, is a really, really positive thing. I just want to finish with an illustration. Um, some years ago, Michaela was out there, uh, on my, that's my wife, um, putting some Roundup on some of the weeds. And uh, yeah, I've said this before, but it's really worthwhile. Um, and the, my fault, the sprayer was leaking. And so <laughs> you could just, two weeks later, you could follow where she went all the way across the lawn. And, uh, and then you can see where she went nice and orderly. And then she must have had a revelation and she shot across over another part there and back again. And, uh, and of course, she didn't know this. But, but gossip is like that. You see a trail of death and a trail of destruction. Last year in the Otago Daily Times, there was a picture of a guy, of what a guy um, had done uh, in, in his, to his house at Wanaka. He had um, gone and bought a whole lot of products for his garden and his lawn, and he said that he hadn't had a, um, didn't have his glasses on. And so he had to quickly fertilize his, his lawn. His, his lawn wasn't his garden, his lawn. And uh, then he had to shoot back to Dunedin where his, where his work was. And, and this picture appeared on the Otago Daily Times <laughs> of, of where he'd fertilized his lawn uh, using Roundup. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Apparently, apparently the street was clogged with cars as people with nothing better to do drove up and just had to see where this, this, uh, this lawn was and what it looked like. But I, I leave that with us as an illustration. You know, that could be powerful in as much as it could be a positive word, you could argue, but here it's a negative, okay? It's death. And so what I'm saying is that you need to be responsible for bringing life, not death. Because we can see over periods of time where death sows its seeds in a community. You know, it gets localized back to one or two people who, who might be just really speaking negatively about things. And so we need to all take responsibility for this. The power of the tongue, be it, be it a, a little wee part of our body, it is this force for good, or as James says, it is a force for evil, which itself is set on fire for hell. Well... With that image in mind, why don't we stand as I lead us in prayer. Thank you.
Father, we, uh, we're probably reminded here of something that we, we know full well, and yet we need to hear it again. The idea that we have this ability with our mouth to be able to make and create things in the way that you have, to build vision of what your kingdom can look like, to, to speak life into things and create with our words, is such a tremendous gift to us, and yet it's so poorly used at times. And so God, we, we just want to come before you even as an act of confession when we would acknowledge that there are times when we've misused our words, but also maybe we've never really realized the power that we have as a gift from you in the words that we use. The power to create around us an incredibly faith-filled, power-filled environment where we can shape the lives of others because of the words that we use. And in doing so, Lord, we, we shape the destiny of our own lives and those around us as we follow what your word says and we can build community, build kingdom. And in doing so, Lord, we glorify you. So we thank you for James's words that they are indeed timeless and endless in their way that they can show us how the simple things matter. Just the simple use of our words, our tone, our inflections, all of those things have a huge bearing upon someone else around us. So Lord, we, we just ask you to sober us and to remind us the power that we have. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.